Today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs 3, um, 1 to 8. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You may be seated. Thank you, Sarah. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Our gracious, wise, loving Father, we thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your commandments and we pray that your spirit would make your words live to us. And we ask that your spirit would be with the kids downstairs and the, and the teachers and the volunteers that as one church, we would see something of your wisdom and your beauty this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. It's so wonderful to see all of you here this morning. In the past few months, uh, I've got, we've got two boys, uh, Josiah and Ezra, and jo- jo- Jojo and Ezra and I have, been, have started playing catch, you know, throwing the ball to one another. One person throws and another person receives. Well, that's the theory at least. We've been learning that through experience to receive the ball, some postures are better than others. You should be standing up rather than sitting down or even lying down. You should be facing the ball rather than away from the ball. You should have your hands out and ready and not in your pockets or anywhere else. And, 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 I, and I start with this because it's, it's the same thing with receiving wisdom, isn't it? There are postures that we should take for us to better receive wisdom from God. And so as we get into our summer series on the book of Proverbs, a book that is all about wisdom, this week we're going to look at postures that we should take to receive God's wisdom. Postures to receive God's wisdom. And we're going to look at three postures from our passage today. Active devotion, wholehearted trust, and intentional humility. Active devotion, wholehearted trust, and intentional humility. But before we even get into our first point, I just want to spend a little bit of time clarifying something we see in our passage. See, our passage is structured like this. Uh, Instruction, incentive. Instruction, incentive. Do this and God will do this. Don't do this so that God will then do this. Look at verse 1, for example. Instruction, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Incentive, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Instruction, incentive. Instruction, incentive. You see this pattern throughout our passage and actually throughout the book of Proverbs. And so this is why we need to clarify what's happening here. Because if you read the book of Proverbs on surface, at a surface level, it's very easy, very tempting to go away thinking that um, each, that the Proverbs is like a book of promises. 
If I do this, God will do this. If I don't do this, then God will do this. But we need to clarify here that that's not how Proverbs is supposed to be read. Every incentive, every proverb we read needs to be understood on, in God's terms and on God's time. It needs to be understood in God's terms, on God's time, and in light of everything else that God has revealed. For example, when God talks about favour and success, He's talking about favour and success the way that He defines it. And on His timeline and not our timeline. And not only that, everything we read has to be understood in light of all that God has revealed to us in the rest of His Word. Yes, favour and success may come our way. But God has revealed to us in His Word that any blessing He sends will often be mixed together with pain and suffering and discipline that God allows into our lives for our good. But, but even then, as we talk about incentives, don't lose sight of the fact that it is only out of God's grace and kindness that He gives us any incentives at all. The fact that God teaches us how to live and gives us incentives on how to, uh, to live well should never be lost on us. Pastor Ray Ortland puts it this way, what is happening here is that our wise father is linking his counsel with incentives. He is not saying, do this because I say so. He is saying, do this because it will help you. We praise God that God, our God, is not just a God who has ordered the universe to function well. He has revealed to us how to live in this world. And not only that, He has given us incentives to help us on our way. So with that in mind, to our first posture, first posture in receiving wisdom, active devotion. Active devotion. Look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. And I, again, I just want to clarify, it's, it's written as my son because Proverbs is structured as a father writing to a son. It's not because it's for sons only, it's for all of God's people, sons and daughters, but it's written that way, which is why it starts with my son. My son, do not forget my teaching. Even as God reveals in his kindness, he reveals his wisdom to us, verse 1 reminds us that we need a posture of active devotion. Active devotion so that we do not forget God's teaching. Most of us, if we're being honest, struggle to remember what we had for lunch last week because remembering takes effort, doesn't it? I know some of you are trying to think back what you had for lunch. Wisdom is not something that happens without effort. We need to actively put in effort not to forget. We need to put in effort to remember, to not just receive, but to hold on to what we have received. Verse 1 then goes on to say, but let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart keep my commandments. The language of keeping is a language of watching carefully, of guarding, of protecting something precious. It's like when I'm out with my friends and one of my friends says, could you watch my baby for a moment? I'm suddenly on heightened alert. Nothing's happening to the baby on my watch. It's the same thing with here. Christ City, do we see God's commandments as precious? Do we see his teaching as something we want to guard, stand watch over? Are our hearts keeping God's commandments, Christ City? 
What steps are we taking so that we do not forget God's teachings? One way we do this is to read our Bibles every day because we forget our Bibles every day. We are so prone to forgetting and even as we make our plans for the summer, may I encourage all of us to include in our plans, plans to read the Bible every day. Start the rhythm now so that when we enter the fall, you're already in the habit. But even as we make plans to read God's Word regularly, how we read God's Word is just as important. Because we're not just reading to just say that we have read it, we're reading to understand. To understand and to remember, and and to that end, having a journal or or a notebook of of some sort where we can write down what we've learned is a really helpful way to remember and not forget. But even as you talk about active devotion and putting in the effort of not forgetting God's teachings, our passage makes equally clear that active devotion is not about following rules or principles, it's about following a person. Active devotion is not about following principles, it's about following a person. Look at verse 3 again. It, It writes, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Now, if you're tracing the the passage, using steadfast love and faithfulness seems like such an odd way to describe God's wisdom, doesn't it? And that's because the writer is doing something that we need to pay attention to. When the writer uses the words steadfast love and faithfulness, he's referring to God's character. Actually, a tip for all of us, when when we read God's word and whenever we come to the phrase steadfast love and faithfulness, the writer is, is, is trying to do something very particular. The writer is using the terms steadfast love and faithfulness to point back to a specific passage. A specific passage that talks about the time God first revealed himself and who he is to to this person called Moses. We see it in Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord passed before him, him being Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What's happening in our passage in Proverbs is that the writer is pointing back to to Exodus 34. And, And the writer of Proverbs is describing wisdom in such a way that there's an overlap, isn't it? The lines are blurred between what wisdom is and who God is. Between what God reveals and who God reveals himself to be. The lines are blurred because all wisdom comes from God. There's an overlap because God is the source of all wisdom. The lines are blurred because wisdom is not about following a set of rules and principles. It's about following a person. A personal God who has revealed what wisdom is even as he reveals who he is to his people. And again, I want to double down on this. The fact that we have a God who reveals himself to us, the fact that we can even be in this very room studying, reading the words from God himself should not be something we take lightly. Because it's only out of God's grace and kindness that he reveals himself to us and reveals to us how the world functions and how we are to live in this world. Never lose sight of God's grace and kindness. The fact that God reveals himself in such a personal way was one of the things that made the book of Proverbs so unique, so countercultural, 
amongst all the other wisdom literature of its time. All the wisdom literature of the time, if they referred to a god or gods, they referred to them as generic, distant, impersonal, unknowable beings. Contrast this with, with Proverbs. In verse 3, the writer can write about God's steadfast love and faithfulness because God has revealed himself to be steadfast and faithful. The writer doesn't just name God, he uses God's personal name, the Lord. In Exodus 34 verse 6, God describes himself as the Lord, the Lord, a God, great, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. God reveals his personal name and it's this same personal name that we see in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Fear the Lord, in verse 7, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't lose how profound this is. The writer isn't just naming God, he's naming a personal God. In all other wisdom literature at the time, the people didn't know who the gods were. They didn't know what the gods were like because the gods were distant and unknowable. So people lived in fear and uncertainty, blindly trying to figure out how they should live in the vague hope that somehow, someday, maybe, perhaps, things will work out. And even as I describe this, isn't that how a lot of our wisdom still functions today? Our culture often tries to boil down wisdom into habits or slogans or principles to live by, like trust the process, trust your gut, fortune favours the brave. What we need to see is that in the background of all these slogans, of all these principles of today's wisdom, in the background there is still often some unstated belief in some generic, distant, unknowable force and the hope that somehow, someday, perhaps, maybe, things will work out. See how radically different biblical wisdom is. We don't have uncertainty about what's going to happen. We know exactly what's going to happen. We don't blindly try to appease God because we know exactly what God is like. Because biblical wisdom is not about following a set of rules or slogans or principles. It's about following a person. A person who has revealed himself to us in his word, by his spirit, and most supremely in his son. And more than that, God hasn't just revealed who he is. He has revealed that he is for us. God is for us. He's revealed he is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness and that all things will work out for the good of those who love Him. Christ City, we don't need to fear. We don't need the uncertainty because we know exactly what's going to happen. And I wonder how many of us could do with this reminder today. Many of us are searching for wisdom. And as we search for wisdom, we need to know that searching for wisdom is not like looking at a manual or a textbook. As you look for wisdom in the Bible, don't look for principles, look for a person. 
Don't look for rules. Look for a relationship with the one who is the source of all wisdom. You know how we, we, we've all got those manuals for the appliances in our houses and we, we just put those manuals on the shelf and we just take them up when things go wrong? That's how we often look at the Bible, don't we? We cast, we put it on the shelf to one corner and we just take it out when things go wrong and we desperately try to look for, for rules or principles to tell us exactly what to do. Christ City, true wisdom is from a person. True wisdom is from God and can only come from following God. Wisdom comes from consistent, active devotion to the one who is the source of all wisdom. But even as we talk about the overlap between wisdom and God's character, our verses make one other very important clarification about what active devotion looks like, and that's this. Active devotion is not just about memorization, it's about character formation. Active devotion is not just about memorization, it's about character formation. Now, don't get me wrong, memorizing scripture is important. The kids downstairs, every month, they have a memory verse they have to memorize, and they memorize it because it's important. But what we see here is that it's not just about memorization, it's about character formation. It's not just supposed to stop at our head, it's supposed to go from our head to our heart and then our hands. Look at verse 3 again. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, meaning leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on a tablet of your heart. Don't let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake us. And what this means is that you know, even as we learned that steadfast love and faithfulness refers to God's character, what is happening here is it goes far beyond just understanding what God is teaching. It's this really intimate picture of, of clothing ourselves with God's character. Clothing ourselves with God's character, binding it around our neck and writing it upon our hearts. True wisdom is not just learning who God is, it's becoming more like who God is. Even as we learn about God's steadfast love and faithfulness, we become steadfast and faithful. We need to bind steadfast love and faithfulness around our necks and write them on our hearts. And it may seem, this, this picture may seem a bit odd to us today, but it made complete sense at the time. Because the way the Hebrews understood it was that the heart was where was central to a person's identity and actions. It was the heart and not the brain that controlled everything you did. And the neck was where the throat was. And the throat was the life of the person. So what's happening here is that the writer is calling us to know God's character so well that our character is formed by God's character that our life and our heart, every fibre of our being is clothed with God's character. And again, even as we, as we learn about this, this emphasis on character formation was so radically countercultural at the time it was written. Most of all the other wisdom literature written at the time was focused not on character, but on behaviour. And specifically, the wisdom literature 
prescribed, advised behavior that was most likely to give you success in your career. Emphasis was on behavior on the outside and not character on the inside. And even then, you only chose the behavior that was helpful to get you to where you wanted to go. And that's still how some of us still view wisdom today, isn't it? We hold wisdom at arm's length, and if anything, we allow it to change us on the outside, but never on the inside. We treat wisdom from the Bible like a buffet, don't we? We take what we want and we ignore the rest. Pastor Ray Ortland again makes a very helpful observation on this, on how we tend to hold wisdom at arm's length. He observes a massive problem he sees in American religion, but, but I think that his observations are spot on for us in Vancouver. Let me read it out. He writes this, So much American religion makes us the immovable ones, the center around which God orbits. American religion is not about us changing and repenting and adjusting to who God is. It's about God making us feel better about ourselves without our having to change. Christ City, are we ready to let God's wisdom change us? Not just on the outside, but on the inside. Do we orbit around God or does God orbit around us? The right posture to receive God's wisdom focuses not just on memorization, but character formation. Are we taking steps to actively read and understand and apply to our lives everything that God has revealed in His Word? Do we seek to be changed by God's wisdom, heart, heart, mind, and hands? Or do we hold it at arm's length and pick and choose what we like and discard the rest? So first posture, active devotion. Second posture, wholehearted trust. Wholehearted trust. Even as we seek God's wisdom with a posture of active devotion, we need, also need to come to Him with wholehearted trust. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And I just need to um, point out something here. In verse 6, when it talks about in all your ways, acknowledge Him, the word acknowledge is not like how we often use the word acknowledge today. You know, like you receive a parcel from Amazon and you acknowledge receipt. <laughs> it's, it's not like that at all. It, it's about wanting to know deeply. Well, one, one scholar translates it as, in all your ways, desire His presence. And even as we desire God's presence, even as we trust in Him. God calls us to trust Him completely because He is completely trustworthy. God calls us to trust Him completely because He is completely trustworthy. If you want to know what it means to trust God with all our heart, the second half of verse 5 gives a wonderful picture. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. The idea of trusting God is the idea of leaning of putting our whole weight on Him and trusting that He can take our weight. And our verses are quite clear. God calls us to go all in, to put our entire weight on Him. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. 
The way to tell if someone is truly leaning on something, if they are trusting in it completely to take all their weight, is what happens when the thing they're leaning on breaks. I remember being in school, and I'm going to blame the chair for this story. I remember being in school and then sitting on the chair, this rickety old chair that was going to break anyway, and sitting on the chair, and then the chair breaks, and then all my classmates and my so-called friends are, are, are staring at me and laughing at me. And the next moment, the next time I, I, I get up to sit on a chair, I'm not so sure anymore. I know it's the chair, but I don't know whether it's me. And I, I, I don't want to put all my weight on that chair. In Christ City, isn't that sometimes how we are with God? We're afraid to put all our weight on God because we're worried that something's going to break. And when that thing breaks, we don't want to look silly, do we? <laughs> We don't want everything else to fall apart and so we hedge our bets just a little bit, don't we? I'm going to trust him with this. I'm not going to trust him with that. We're worried that God can't take our weight and so Christ City, hear the words of God's word, God can take our weight. Christ City, God can take all our weight. He calls us to trust him completely because he can be completely trusted. God can take the weight of all our hopes and our dreams. God can take the weight of all our worries and our problems. And believe it or not, God can take the weight of all our sin and our shame. But more than that, not only can God take our weight, hear this, He's the only one who can take our weight. You can't take your weight. Only He can take your weight. God is not some dictator who just demands that we trust Him. No, God is a gentle Savior, Christ City. He's a gentle Savior who calls us to put our weight on Him because He knows that only He can take our weight. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Verse 5 sets up two options for us, trust God or trust in ourselves, lean on God's wisdom or lean on our own understanding. And the point is this, we're all leaning on something. We're all putting our weight on someone. If it's not God, it's someone else. But know this, only God can take our weight. Don't take the weight that only God can carry. Don't put that weight on yourselves. Don't put that weight on others. Christ City, only God can take the weight. And you know what? He wants to take that weight. He sent His Son to take that weight. For anyone who wants to follow Jesus, we will all have to come to a crossroads when we decide, are we going to go all in? Are we going to put all our weight on God? Are we willing to trust God with all our heart, even when it goes against our understanding? Are we willing to trust God when it doesn't make sense? Are we willing to trust God till it hurts? Are we willing to trust God when it hurts? In Christ City, I know that some of us are hurting right now, aren't we? God's word says that we can still trust Him. That we can still lean on Him when it hurts. 
Actually, he tells us we can lean on him, especially when it hurts. We can trust God completely because he's completely trustworthy. More than anyone else we will ever meet, even the person we see in the mirror. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christ City, when you doubt God's steadfast love and faithfulness, look to the cross. For some of us, we might be new to Christianity or we may have been spending time wrestling with questions and researching the claims of Christianity. And if we're being honest, we're still not sure if we can take that step of faith, if God can really take our weight. And I will put it to you that at the end of all the wrestling and researching, the only way that you can ever tell if a chair can take your weight is to have a seat. Ask the questions you need to ask. Wrestle with the questions you have. But at the end of all things, know that at some point, the next step is to take that step of faith. To put your weight on God and to see God's promises fulfilled. Because let me tell you, He, he can take your weight. If you have questions, if you want to chat more, don't do this alone. Talk to all the other people who have put their weight on God. Talk to the person you came with. You can come talk to me, any of our staff or any of our elders. So active devotion, wholehearted trust, and thirdly, intentional humility. Intentional humility. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And I want to zero in on the, on the idea of humility in verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. And I want to focus on it because we don't focus on it enough in our culture today, do we? We need to talk about humility because we often don't like to talk about humility. Humility is often seen as weakness. If we're not intentional about humility, humility will never happen because none of us are naturally humble. And in fact, humility goes against much of what our culture teaches us today. If, if you look, if, you know, Netflix and, and all the other streaming services, they've got all these documentaries of people who have made it big, who have had huge success in their life. And you know what's one thread that often goes through all their stories? They say, believe in yourself. They say, trust your gut when everyone tells you no. Our culture says, trust yourself to be the ultimate authority in your own life. You know what verse 7 says? It says, have the humility to submit ourselves to God. And in so doing, have the humility to submit ourselves to those that God has put over us. Even when we think that we are smarter than them. Our culture says, don't listen to anyone else. Stay true to what you want and to what you believe. And you know what verse 7 says? It says, be teachable. 1532 says this, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof, which means correction, rebuke, gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honour. 
16 verse 2 says this, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. But we need to be clear here, Proverbs is not saying that it's wrong to stand up for what is right. There are times when you shouldn't listen to others. It's not saying take on everything that everyone is saying, but what it is saying is that we need to submit ourselves to God. What it is saying is that even as we trust God, even as we have a posture of humility, that means that we need a posture of knowing, of realizing that God knows better than we know for ourselves. Humility means that trusting God, that in His wisdom, God teaches us and has things to teach us through His Word, by His Spirit, and through His people, even the most unexpected of people. Christ City, are we humble? Are we teachable? When was the last time we accepted correction from God's Word? When was the last time we accepted correction from God through others? Let's be honest with ourselves. Deep down, do we secretly think that we're the smartest person in the room? Deep down, do we secretly think that everyone will be better off if they just listened to what we had to say? Are we willing to learn from others? Are we willing to be challenged by others? Or are we the ones who are constantly challenging others? Do we invite Christians to speak truth into our lives and asking them to correct us even when, especially when we don't want to be corrected? And as one practical application of this passage, if we do not have at least one person to do that, will we think of that person today? And do we respond to correction in such a way that others want to correct us? We're not talking about false humility here. We're not talking about those humble brags we're talking about genuinely realizing that God can use anyone to speak wisdom into our hearts. Active devotion, wholehearted trust, and humility, intentional humility, painful humility, consistent humility. As we end, we need to make sure that we we go away understanding these three postures and, and, and in fact, our entire passage through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of Christ's finished work on the cross. Because there is a way to misunderstand these postures, there's a way to misunderstand this passage in a way that we go away thinking that this passage is just about a list of things we need to do. And don't get me wrong, there are a bunch of things God calls us to do. But before we do anything, and as we do anything, we start not with what we need to do, but, what, but with what Christ has already done. As we do anything, we don't start with what we need to do, we start with realizing that it is God who is doing a mighty work in us, through us. You see, before we try to trust God with all our hearts, we need to start with the cold heart truth that left to ourselves in our sin, our hearts are broken. Left to ourselves, we would never want to trust God with anything. 
It is only Jesus who can give us the new hearts we need to trust God the way we should. It doesn't start with doing, it starts with done. It doesn't start with me, it starts with Christ. As we seek to be humble, as we seek not to be wise in our own eyes, we need to start with Jesus who shows us what true humility is and enables us to be humble. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross for us so that we may clothe ourselves with his character, so that we may have true humility. But not just that, so that we may have the benefits and incentives and enjoy the incentives of living wisely. As you think about the benefits and incentives of living wisely, we need to start with Jesus. We are not, these incentives are not something we earn for ourselves. They're incentives that Jesus has earned for us already. Jesus lived the life of wisdom that we could never live so that we could have the benefits of wisdom that we could never deserve. For example, when we talk about favour and success in the eyes of God and man in, in, chapter, in Proverbs 3 verse 4, when Proverbs 4 talk, 3 verse 4 talks about those benefits, Know this, we can only access these benefits not because we deserve them, not because we have lived wisely enough, but because Jesus has lived wisely enough. Jesus has already earned these benefits for us by living the life of perfect wisdom that we could never live. Look at Luke 2 verse 52. The writer Luke is recording for us Jesus' life and he writes this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. In God's wisdom, Jesus came to live the life of perfect wisdom, living in favour with God and man on our behalf so that we might have favour with God and man. It is only by faith in Christ that we might live wisely. It is only by faith in Christ that we might have all the blessings that come from living wisely. It is only by faith in Him that we have favour we do not deserve, because it is his favour that Christ has earned for us on the cross. If you are able, please stand as you respond to God's word.